Hi there, I'm Dennis Velko. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Out Bureau Voices, where we have engaging conversations and sometimes funny and interesting as well with LGBTQ uh, professionals, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. And Nanu, who is joining us currently from Switzerland, is you know, he fits all of those things. He is one of the LGBTQ uh, leaders at the United Nations. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dennis, and thank you very much for having me today. Uh, it's an honor to be here, especially this amazing platform. And thank you very much for sharing this platform uh, with me today. Thank you. Oh, well, absolutely. You know, the reason I do this is to be an inspiration to uh, everyone, not just the, I, I often say the, the young people, but it really is everyone to be an inspiration and to let others know what people are doing in the world for the LGBT community. And when we uh, first met, um, it was about a week, week or two ago, I, I was um, very inspired by what you were telling me. And I've had a few conversations um, with people that are engaged at the United Nations, but I was so interested and surprised, frankly, um, of, of what you are doing and your role. So um, what I really like to do, Nanu, is start off with um, you sharing a little bit about your kind of career journey to sure. give those young, especially those young people coming out of college and so forth, kind of a like, oh my God, I didn't even know that could it be possible. Um, you know, the ideas. And then we'll get into what you're doing now at the United Nations. So um, share with us. Now you are in Switzerland and I'm mm -hmm. in Fort Lauderdale, but uh, you're not originally from Switzerland. So <laughs> where are you originally from? Well, I'm actually from the UK. Um, I was born in a city called Birmingham. Okay. Uh, my parents named me Gachatan Sandu. Um, so most people know me as Gachatan or Nanu. Um, so I grew up in the UK, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm born to migrant working class um, Sikh uh, parents um, who migrated, in fact, to the UK in the, in the early 70s and late 70s. Mm. Um, Yes, so that's 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 where I'm from. Um, I moved to Geneva, Switzerland, in 2006. Would you believe it? It's been 15 years, nearly more. Um, and I only came here for six months. It was supposed to be an internship, and the idea was to learn some, learn more, and then take those that expertise and that skill set back to the UK and apply my um, what I'd learned there. So, and here I am. 16 years later or 15 years later talking to you and you know one of the things I've even even if I've said this to the secretary general once I've met if I if someone had told me when I started working at the United Nations that I would be sitting here talking to you or addressing you on this topic I would have said you were lying I would have never imagined myself in this position and talking to you today as well um so my journey has been um, one of self-discovery um, and learning, um, and I've been very, very privileged to have this sort of platform. Oh, well, well, I appreciate it. And, and there's a couple things I'll probably get to asking you later, uh, already based on what you've said. Um, but so 
you've been working for the UN for a while. And so share share about your role and what you're doing. It's quite Mm -hmm. fascinating. So I, in fact, work at um, one of the UN specialized agencies. So the UN is made up of very different funds and programs, and um, it also includes specialized agencies. I work in one of those specialized agencies called the International Labour Organization. And um, within the International Labour Organization, I work for the branch called the Fundamental Principles and Rights at Work branch. Now, in the past, I was working on one of one of the four principles, which was on child labour. So, the progressive and, and um, lim- for the progressive elimination of child labour across the world. But now, um, surprisingly, because of my work on UN Globe, which I will come to, um, I'm now working on non-discrimination and equal pay for work of equal value. Um, but my, but it wasn't. Um, my work on child labour that brought me into non-discrimination it was in fact my work on UN Globe that brought me into working on non-discrimination. Um, what is UN Globe? Well, UN Globe stands for um, United Nations Gay, Lesbian or Bisexual Employees. And it is the group or association representing LGBTIQ plus personnel across the United Nations system. Um, I am lucky and privileged to be serving and honoured to be serving as its uh, president currently. I'm also the coordinator for our Geneva chapter and uh, the chapter for the um, ILO. But more importantly, I serve serve as the president of the executive board um, of UN Globe. And what is UN Globe? I mean, for us, it's the group that is championing uh, championing a more inclusive, equitable and diverse United Nations workplace for all people, in particular LGBTIQ plus personnel and dependents. Um, we talk about personnel because we cover all different types of contractual mod- modalities. We cover staff, we cover young officers, we cover uh, consultants and interns, um, and all, especially those who are on very precarious forms or very on short-term types of contracts. Because, you know, as you may know, um, most LGBTIQ plus people are found in the most precarious forms of work. Um, so yeah, that's my role. So I'm quite fortunate that my uh, day job and my gay job is kind of uh, <laughs> line up. Um, that's cute. Your day job and gay job. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, um, that's what I do. So very, very lucky. Um, in terms of my day job, I particularly focus or I'm one of these sort of leading specialists in the ILO on LGBTIQ plus uh, people um, and their rights at work. Very cool and very, uh, the word pervasive comes to mind, Um, meaning just that, again, 70 some organizations and the United Nations, which is everywhere. And, you know, I've talked with several international companies um and they had to do extensive work to you know like in their hr system be, to be able to allow employees to put you know preferred pronouns their their true name uh versus their legal name and so forth and um and they had to go country by country working with their legal team in order to understand what they could do legally 
um, what were the laws of the countries. In some countries, they were working um, in, in in a few. Oh, you know, like the uh, you, uh, um, where Dubai is, UAE, uh, um, you know, and and other countries where it's illegal to be LGBT. And these companies were like, okay, yes, in those countries, it's illegal. So therefore we can't do certain things, but, you know, we have a global policy uh, that protects all of our employees. And so therefore at work, um, they will be protected from discrimination, even though once they step outside of the doors, they could be arrested, they could be put in prison, they could be stoned to death. And so I even, I imagine at the United Nations that you're everywhere, right? And so you must have that similar kind of a tough job. As could you kind of share with me what the United, what you and, and, you in the broader sense of United Nations, um, how do you address that? So that, I mean, it's very, very interesting. Um, I think one of the key things in answering that question is one of the, you know, often I hear people say to me, but UN Globe, why does it need to exist? If not at the UN, you know, if not anywhere, but at the UN, where else? You know, it has to be there. And people are often surprised. But let's not forget what the UN is and what the UN system is. It's an organization that is made up of member states. Um, like any company, it's got a board of directors. Uh, our board of directors are our member states. And those member states dictate our HR policies. Mm. And to those countries where being LGBTIQ plus is criminalized. So you can imagine their policies and stances when it comes to specific, um, advancing specific rights. So our job is for um, a more inclusive and equitable workplace and pushing and advocating for more inclusive working conditions. Um, indeed, in many parts of the world, being LGBTIQ plus is criminalized. And in fact, you know, we say that, you know, the rules that they are there within the United Nations, that there's no discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, and sex characteristics. Whether they, whether you work in New York in headquarters, whether you work here in Geneva or in, or in Vienna, Bangkok, or in Nairobi, wherever, those rules are those rules. So, you know, as soon as you walk into a UN office, you know, you adhere to those rules. However, sadly, you know, we have many people, many colleagues who come from, you know, multi-cultural multi organization. Um, we have colleagues coming from all corners of the world um, who, and from, and who come from many parts of the world, or in fact, many cultures, who have been brought up to think that being LGBTIQ plus is wrong, or they think that they have never met an LGBTIQ plus person. So our job is to change the conversations around sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, and sex characteristics. You know, it's a very sort of taboo topic, or, and we're there to change that and provide a safe ground or a safe framework to have those conversations. So, you know, and then going back to your point about those company, um, about, you know, moving from one duty station to or one location to another location, we have the very same challenges. Indeed, um, you know, um, how do we ensure um, 
we have different types of classification of a location. We call it a family duty station or a non-family duty station or a hardship duty station. And in the case of a family duty station, is it a real family duty station? Does it, take, uh, does it allow for um, LGBTIQ plus um, partners to travel with, with you? Or can you, get a part, can you get a visa for a partner in a country where being LGBTIQ plus is criminalized. So we have that challenge as well. So, and the, the challenges around that is that, you know, you're actually giving up a career promotion, you know, that job opportunity, because you, you either have to decide either I take my partner with him, with me, and uh, we, they struggle to get a visa and they have to travel in and out, or you give up that opportunity. And that opportunity could actually mean career progression. So we're there advocating for this change to be ha to happen to ensure that all members of staff or all personnel are treated equally as well. Um, hmm. And, you know, to ensure that we have a more equitable system and it's not sort of driven from a cis heteronormative um, perspective. You know, so it can allow for same gendered couples to, to be together as well. I mean, most some parts of the world do allow that. They do provide visas, but not all. So what do you do in those cases as well? Um, and I think that's not just for international staff. You know, um, we don't want to be one of those global LGBTI or workplace organizations that only thinks about, you know, um, international uh, migrants or uh, expats. But our concern also is national staff national personnel who actually don't travel, but are actually based in those countries or from those countries where being LGBTI is criminalized and in fact can't even leave um, or could leave. But, you know, if they're out in the office, you know, that could also mean being out in the community and and their, you know, their security is, is of, you know, great concern to us as well. Yeah. Wow. It's deep. I, I seriously, it, it's a it's a very challenging situation. Um, you know, I, I I have an article on outbureau.com for asylum seekers, refugees, immigration, you know, people, and because I get I get messages from people from all over the world, you know, and I don't know if they're spam. You know, just money grabbers, fishers, uh, but but not everyone has the what I have. <laughs> as soon as I see those messages of hardship, and they say they're from Uganda or Nigeria, which are huge spammer spammer fisher, you know, online uh, countries. As soon as you see that, I, immediately red flag goes up. But I just respond with. Here's the resources that I've put together for asylum seekers, refugees. And then I, then I just typically get a thank you. Um, so I, I don't, number one, as a personal individual, I don't deal with it. Uh, I don't have to deal with it. Um, but, you know, naturally there are people in the world. And so I've created that, that resource guide but you'd live it. I mean, you're living it with all of your your staff and and it's the United Nations. So holy gosh, right? What what a burden as well. Cause if you don't get it right, who the heck is, right? 
I mean, by all, yeah, I, I, it, by all means, we should hold the United Nations to to um, account and hold it to a higher esteem as well. Um, that's very, very important. Well, also, I'm just thinking about, you know, I, I, I've not done this yet, but I need to email you uh, the link to my resource guide because you might be able to, like, Dennis, you've only, like, got 20%, right? You might be like, you know, there's like 80% more resources out there for people that you don't even have on this guide. So as soon as we get off of this, I'm going to be emailing that to you. Um, just because, again, you're having to, because you are everywhere, right? Yeah. As as a organization, you're literally everywhere. And so, um, so it, it's just, it's literally mind boggling. Um, yeah. the, the issues that you guys must face, you know, in, in, in trying to, to help educate and protect, uh, your staff and contractors, as you said. It is a challenge and often those resources don't exist. Um, and often I have the information we're sort of mapping out, you know, it's a very big and complex system. So you're trying to ascertain, you know, what are the parameters and the framework that we can operate within? What are the rules? Um, what can we do? And uh, whereas, you know, and using our channels of influence and using those uh, um, channels that we have with senior leaders within the United Nations system and within different agencies and entities of the UN, you know, having those conversations with them and saying, look, these, these are the issues and this is what we need to do. You know, just going back to your issue, um, there are, we do get requests even from outside of the UN, you know, not pertaining to UN personnel, but our mandate is only for UN personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, we often do get, you know, civil society or um, persons seeking support. Uh, we refer them to our relevant counterparts. You know, we're, you know, we're the other side of the coin, so to speak. You know, there's an outward-facing UN. We're more inward-facing, but we do work together as well. Yeah. Oh, I to I totally understand that. So. Um... Yeah. And if you need to direct me to the outward facing counterparts in the organization to help complete my list of resources, uh, because my, my site's in 103 languages and um, out of currently about 35,000 page views just on the site, not including all social media channels uh, a month, uh, over 30 to 35% are in foreign languages. Um, Farsi is huge, huge, one of the top. And, um, and yeah, so anyway, so it just kind of, you know, hit me while you were talking, OMG, you know, please, <laughs> someone review this, help, help me complete it. Because, <clears throat> you know, just being visible, uh, like the UN, it, you know, being visible, people, you know, count on you. Um, yeah. And so, <clears throat> so, okay. So you were describing. Can I just come in, come into that point about you, about being visible? And I think this is a very, very important point. I just want to sort of highlight that not everyone in our community can be visible, especially in countries where, being LGBTIQ plus is criminalized. So we have a network of 40 plus coordinators and we want to grow that coordinators. But a lot of our coordinators are from specific 
parts of the world and doing in specific job categories. Um, they're international civil servants. They're not national, you know, they, they, they fall into the, uh, the category of what we call professionals. They move from, you know, different location to different location. So um, they're afforded certain security, uh, certain, you know, uh, social um nor you know um, privileges whereas if they were to be outed they could be you know take you know they could safely be um, evacuated out however not everyone can do that you know especially if you're a national lgbtiq plus personnel so one of the things that we're, we know we recognize that as un globe you know and we've said in our community look do you need to be visible to serve your communities right mm. um, things that we're really keen on doing especially in our new structure and that we're rolling out is ensuring that we can have those invisible voices serve because we those are the voices that we need to lift up and you know and we and you know people like yourself and i we have that platform to do that and we can share that platform but also we need to look at the barriers that are that are created for being invisible and how can we protect people's identities ensure their safety and security but still allow allow their voice to be heard or you know and, and allow them to participate and engage um, because you know you just don't have that luxury of being of being visible like we said sorry i just wanted to yeah no it, it it is very important and that's actually um 13 and a half years ago, uh, whenever I started one of the very first LGBT groups on LinkedIn, uh, I, actually, uh, I actually had to contact their um, help desk in order to create it because they didn't have the create the group, group button at that time. Um, so you just, no one could create a group, but I actually contacted them and gave them a whole use case as to why it was important. And then shortly after they said yes, and they were like, you know, and, and, and I've said this before, but whenever I contacted them, they were like, well, uh, they just had university groups um, and, uh, and, and the alumni associations took over the management of it. And so whenever I contacted them and said, you know, thanks for putting me in the Ohio State group, but you really need to put me in the LGBT group. And they said, oh, well, you know, it doesn't, you know, we don't know who to go to to manage it because the LGBT community is so, you know, th there's lots, it's huge, but there's lots of siloed uh, organizations. And uh, <clears throat> whenever uh, I, I saw that back, I said, well, uh, if you would um, uh, create the group, I gave them a whole, uh, literally a page and a half use case as to why it was so important to be visible on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And um, and then they came back and said, oh, well, you know, we don't know who to go to to moderate and administer the group. And I responded back and said, well, you know, if you will create it, I'll volunteer to do that. And shortly thereafter, um, I realized, you know, not everyone's out on, you know, uh, uh, currently uh, a recent study showed that only 46% or so, 46 or 48% of people are even out today at work. I mean, e even in the UK and Germany and US and Canada and Australia, right? Only 46 to 48% of people are out at work. And so one of the very first features that I pushed hard for 
uh, was the ability to hide any group from your public profile, realizing that you could participate, but you don't want it on your profile. So it's very similar. And that's also why on outbureau.com, which is a professional and entrepreneur LGBTQ website, is you don't have to use your real name. You can use a fake name. You can use a profile name. You could be called Pretty Kitty 72 <laughs> And because our community still, even here in the middle of, you know, 2021, 20, uh, um, even if you live in a country, you know, like the U.S., the Canada, Switzerland, Germany, you know, Australia, you still might have um, reasons why you don't choose currently to be fully out. And I, I, I get it. And having also been raised in quite a right-wing fundamentalist background, um, I get it. And there's a need and people still need their voice. They still need to be able to feel like they can join and they can belong and they can network and get support and feel feel that that sense of ability and connection that makes them feel whole yeah so it's, yeah I, I totally get that um i mean one quick point on that is that um we have a lot of members who say that for un globe in particular and you know, um, I haven't even come to my day job stuff yet. We, you know, we've got so much to discuss. The in terms of the, you know, members UN Globe, they often write to us say, "Look, well, if I give you my work email, you know, my employer may be checking." And this is in the UN, so we even have people who are scared to even be out in the UN, and that actually. Um, goes back to two points. One, um, the ILO conducted a, an internal survey and we found that within the ILO, um, whilst um, that only 32% um, of LGBTIQ plus people have disclosed their identities and shared their sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression with colleagues, right? 32%, so it's even smaller than 46, the 40. 6% you quoted. Um, but this was back in 2012, 13. So things may have changed. Okay. So, you know, 10 years moving, to, you know, 10 years forward, I'd like to hope that, you know, that number has gone up. Um, but this is actually cognitive. And I can go now go back to my story here. You know, when I first walked into the ILO back in 2006, as a young intern, you know, still quite young now, uh, I won't say my age, but, um, one of the first things I was told, you know, was like, well, if you want to stay here and get a contract, don't come out. A fellow member of the LGBTI communities advised me, you know, this is not, it's not a very safe place to be, um, to be out. And um, I was already questioning my, my reputation at that point. I mean, that, there's another backstory to actually my own experience before then. But at that point, that person pushed me so far back into the closet that was, you know, sort of like, okay, I'm never going to be out in the workplace. And consequently, you know, I was, you know, whilst I was out outside of the workplace and to some colleagues who were friends also outside of the workplace, inside the workplace, you know, 
I was I was chatting or Nanu and I was you know um, I was straight and you know names of partners would be changed where I went on where I was on the weekend would be changed so I would find this sort of added burden of sort of um, living a lie constantly and mm-hmm. um, and that ended up taking so much energy of my time and so much fatigue and worry. And I only realize now how much it did at that time and how much damage it did at that time. I would have comments like, Nanu, you're gonna make, you know, you're gonna make an excellent husband one day and that wife is gonna be so lucky. And I'm like, ha yeah, don't think so, it's gonna be a wife. Um, and even traveling to countries where being LGBTIQ plus is criminalized, that I would have questions like, oh, why are you, you know, young man like you should be married now and should be having a family. You know, you're meeting senior government officials and you're talking to, to constituents or um, to, to high uh, um, officials. And this is something that, you, you know, you, you'd finish the work and you would go to dinner together, still, you know, sort of working in a workplace environment or setting, and you'd be asked these questions. And you, I just feel so uncomfortable asking yeah. them. And I remember back in 2013, my then partner at the time said, um, you're not okay with being gay. And I was like, yes, I am. And of course I am, you know, um, can't, you know, I don't identify as gay any longer, but I identify as queer. Um, but at the time, you know, this was said, um, said to me and I got all defensive because I also come from a culture, you know, whilst I sound British, I have a, a second culture of, of being Indian Punjabi and we're really sort of, you know, well, I'm a man and I can do this kind of, you know, I don't need anyone to help me. Um, was that kind of mentality I can sort this out myself or brush it under the carpet it will go away you know kind of thing um it didn't go away mm-hmm. and I think um I did end up seeking help because I chose to and sought out a, um, a counsellor or a psychologist to go through um the workings of my you know why I was not out you know and um why I still had this sort of internalized homophobia um, I mean, because even, you know, and uh, yeah, so there's another point I want to talk about, you know, even internalized misogyny, you know, I had this sort of, you know, even though I was out in the gay scene, you know, I had this sort of, you know, that I had uh, shamedly, I want to look back at shamedly and say, yeah, I had that sort of, you know, no femme, no mask for mask sort of mentality and that, you know, I realized how much damaging I was doing to myself. Uh, it's only when I, you know, sought out that sort of counselling that I realised, you know, hang on, this is not, you know, started sort of unpicking those pieces and unlearning those toxic behaviours that came into my own. And in 2013, I, I came out of work and told my boss, who was super supportive. And in 2014, became part of UN Globe because I felt, well, you know, I don't want anyone else to go through this as well. And I should, no one else should in the workplace should go through this too. And how can I support other people? You know, I come from a culture, or I come from a religion in particular, where we talk about um, community work. It's called seva, right? And that's the backbone of the principles that we live with. And that's what I live in. And that's what brought me to the ILO in the first place. You know, this idea of social justice. And, you know, this was the idea of, well, how can I help within the ILO and within the UN? And it's been a learning journey ever since. And I've not stopped learning, not just about myself, but the different communities that we're made up of, uh, the different identities we hold, um, how, you know, um, 
it, it, it is a journey, you know, um, you're we're constantly growing and learning. Um, and yeah, um, and it's important for someone like me, especially of color, of faith, um, of diaspora background to be visible if I can and to, to, to help others um, and to inspire others as well, because that's got to be a legacy we leave behind, you know. Um, I once, you know, I once had a, uh, a leader, I won't say where, and they, didn't, they said, well, you know, I, I don't believe in legacy, you know. And I was like, well, wow, you know, you must be so privileged to not believe in legacy, you know. What? I can't do that. I've got to, you know, we've got to, I've, I'm trying to open this door so a tight of my community of the different communities I hold and represent can come through that door. So I we've got to have legacy and that's so important for us as well. So that's the cost of being visible as well. So I'm very lucky to do that. I know not everyone can do that. And I recognize that and my my one goal is you know learning how we can help those voices get up. I, I know I keep on saying it but it's so important to me. What a position, what an opportunity that you have working in the United Nations and being able to help others and affect change. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, I was very intrigued when we were first uh, in our first conversation, when you were describing you and Globe. <laughs> because it's, and, and just to key you on what I'm talking about, is it's not like your typical employee resource group that whenever I'm talking to other people, uh, other organizations, I can say an employee resource group and boof, we know what we're talking about. So share with us a little bit about the dynamics of the UN Globe so, um, yeah, when we are recognized within the UN system and we have different coordinators as well, you know, we have different, because we have different entities and agencies, we have different coordinators um, that are our focal points within those entities because the HR rules of that um, entity are governed by the, 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 the culture or the mandate of that organization. So you have organizations that are doing humanitarian work and therefore they have different HR rules and practices and procedures to an organization to one where I work, like the ILO, which is more of a standard setting um, programmatic organization. So, but going to, so that's just sort of, you know, the, the operational side, we know when we've got an executive board. Um, now, UN Globe, we often get lumped in an employee resource group. And I'm like, one, we're not an employee resource group. Uh, um, resources you pay for. We are doing this pro bono and we're doing this voluntarily, you know. Mm. So, you know, this is, you know, this is not beyond a resource group. This is, you know, pro bono work. So employee, you know, pro bono group, if you want to call it. So we'll work on this on our, in addition to our day jobs, in addition to our official responsibilities that we have. That's number one. And number two, the, um, unlike most employee resource groups, they're management led. We are actually personal led. We're led by staff or by personnel for personnel. Okay, you know, we used to say staff, but you know, by for for um, personnel, by personnel. And um, in that sense that, you know, we are not there to validate our organizations in terms of the LGBTI 
plus work. We're out there to hold them accountable for their work on LGBTIQ plus issues internally. Um, and we're there to ensure, you know, where the, the sort of, you know, the, the, where that place between employee resource groups and a, and a trade union, we're right in the middle of there. You know, what we actually do is we bring out staff unions and workers, um, staff unions or staff councils or uh, trade unions from the, within the UN. Um, and we, you know, sort of and bring our HR directors from the different organisations within the UN together to discuss the issues that LGBTIQ plus personnel face. So we have that sort of convening power on those as well. Um, but one of the key things, you know, that's very, very important for us um, is that we are there at that table to discuss and negotiate policy. We firmly believe that anything that impacts personnel will impact LGBTIQ plus personnel too. So we would like our voice in the room. Um, so we demand that, or, and we ask for our voice in the room and a seat at the table, and it's not done without us because, you know, that uh, we know the, the, the motto of our, our communities are is that, you know, nothing about us without us. So we firmly believe that. Um, so for us, that's very, very, that's the, the, the sort of DNA of our, our, of our group. I mean, we do do events, we do webinars, we do activities of awareness raising, but for us, what the key thing is, is to ensure, and going back to legacy as well, ensuring that LGBTIQ plus issues or SOGESC or SOGI or sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression and sex characteristics are sort of mainstreamed throughout any LGBT, any staff, any pers um, regulations that impact or procedures that impact um, personnel. So we 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 have those two sides of um you know we have the 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 the, the um awareness raising and the, poli and the policy side as well but we don't just get involved there as well i would have to say dennis i think one of the other things that i sort of proud ourselves on right now is that we are you know we are supporting um the network on uh, un people of african descent you know the 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 un has you may have seen recently there's been a lot of coverage on racism within the un or um and the, our um, current sg is making it a concerted effort but again we're there working with our the network on um people of african descent but at the same time, we want to make sure that LGBTIQ plus voices of colour or people of colour who are LGBTIQ plus, uh, their voices are also brought into the room as well. So um, that's very, very important too. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a very interesting description of, you know, that, that might be a model. I mean, because... You know, just because your your employer may not provide resources, <laughs> you can look at the UN and what your guy what you guys are doing, and still, you know, form a group and gain the the visibility and and make an impact. Yeah. And so so wow, and. Uh, and I, I, I love how you are injecting yourself into as many things uh, as possible. So it, it's very important what you're doing because also the, the, the more that you do and your organization does at the United Nations, mm -hmm. the more visibility that you are, you are giving to all the member nations 
and therefore can have influence and impact on those nations creating change like the horrible crap that's going on in Hungary right now and mm -hmm. Poland and you know they're they're yeah so I want to, uh, just on on that I just want to note that you know we do work on internal side of things so we do not actually get involved as UN Globe in what is going on at the national in 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 terms of you know um the 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 programmatic or the context of the political issues um of or the national issues that's not for us to say you know as international civil servants we've got to stay neutral but one of the key things is that you know those who are working on these issues within inside the un system we need to equip them so that they can better work with lgbtiq plus people and beneficiaries as well you know to, so that we can serve all um um, all members of society or um, you know, across the world. Um, so that's very, very important for us to highlight there, I think. just to, to, Yeah, no, and I totally get that. But, I, you know, my uh, kind of the thing is like my kind of statement there, I didn't mean to overstate what you, your goal is and what your, you know, what the UN Globe is. But when you know someone you your mind can be changed and so even on the internal workings the you know just working with internal personnel you know if you have staff who happen to identify as lgbtq and work in some capacity with members of staff from those countries you know and they see that, oh, no, I have to engage with them in a respectful blah, blah, blah manner, and then they get to know them, mm. that could change minds. Oh, it certainly does, yeah. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it may not change the laws and, you know, everything today, but those are people at that level who have the capacity to influence their laws and the fact that, you know, the UN and, and the UN Globe is w working to create the safe and, and neutral space for LGBTQ people. And therefore, you know, those staff are working with, with staff from those countries, right? Mm. You know, that's where my mind goes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a trickle down thing. And, yeah. you know, again, it may not be immediate, but, you know, it has impact. It really does. Yeah. No, fully agree with you. I mean, we 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 worked with LGBTIQ plus. We worked with personnel who have LGBTIQ plus, you know, dependents, and you know they they come to us stressed, distressed. You know, oh help, you know, my child. I I don't know what's going on with my child, or you know, what can you do, you know? And there's something wrong with them. We sort of go through that, and you see the process, and you see that change. It really, you know, from from a place of hurt to a place of acceptance and you know it's um from misgendering someone to you know using their correct pronouns and using their correct uh, uh, you, uh recognize their actual gender identity um it's yeah it's quite impressive to see that and and to see that impact um so yeah very cool
Yeah. Well, well, I know we're uh, coming up on our scheduled time. I'm willing yeah. to go as long as possible or whatever <laughs> we need. But, you know, have, have have we not talked about something that was, you know, that you would like to share? Well, the, I mean, we, we I think I need to come back and talk to you about some of the work that the ILO is doing on, on LGBTI rights at work as well, specifically on how the ILO, uh, um, what we've done or what we have done or we are doing on LGBTIQ plus worker rights around the world. Um, but I think that could be another session, don't you? I think that, uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'm happy to have you back. I would invite everyone to look at www.nglobe.org um, and uh, sign up to a mailing list or sign, you know, and find out what, we do, what, what we're doing within the UN system as well. Happy to, uh, and those members who may be even listening, who didn't even, you know, who work in the UN and those people who are listening who work in the UN didn't even know that UN Globes existed, sign up, join our membership, um, support your colleagues. Um, if you're not LGBTIQ+, plus or become an ally, you know, show solidarity with us all for sure. Well, uh, and um, I will have in the show notes and or uh, cards up here below. Um, I've also done an interview with uh, Bruce Knotts, who mm-hmm. is the office director for the uh, Unitarian Universalist Church at the United Nations. He's actually the person who launched the entire LGBT topic at the United Nations. So we'll we'll, uh, be sure to check out that episode. And then also I had a conversation with Fabrice Hodart, uh, who created, uh, who was a co-author of the LGBTQ standards for business within the United Nations. Uh, So this is like the third conversation that uh, Out Bureau uh, Voices has had regarding the United Nations. So, you know, this is, uh, it's a large topic. And uh, Nano, I would love to have you back to talk about more, as you stated, the ILO specific issues. And uh, at any point, o- open invitation. Anytime you want to chat and you know jump on, uh, you're more than welcome. Thank uh, you. Awesome. Well, this has been a very uh, an enlightening conversation. Uh, well, gosh, I so much appreciate your time and your openness and sharing with us today. You're very, very welcome, Dennis. It's a pleasure to be part of this conversation with you. So I'm looking forward to the the, the podcast and coming back and talking about what the, the ILO is doing as well. Absolutely. We'll schedule that here in the coming weeks. Perfect. All right. And thank you, everyone, for staying tuned to this episode of Out Bureau Voices. Thank you so much. This is Dennis Velko. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 oh,